0: All right, so before we do that, um, I just want to ask anyone who has served in any of the branches of our military, can I ask you to stand up as uh, we recognize uh, this Veterans Day we had a couple of days ago? Can we thank them? Thank you so much for your service. Thank you for what you've done. We don't take it lightly uh, powerful, so God bless you guys. Thank you so much. I uh, just want you to know that your family honors you, and uh, your church family appreciates you and what you've done, so we're grateful. So have you ever been, uh, like, uh, someone uh, shared, uh, like, a thought or a perspective or a song and, and or even, like, a lyric, and then, like, it just changes it? Like they were like they corrected you because you were singing it wrong or maybe they had a wrong lyric and it's like, now that's like what you think and hear every time you hear that song. I found a comedian who talks a little bit about that uh, with the song We Are Family. Let's go ahead and bring that up. You know that song We Are Family? For years I thought they were singing Just Let Me Staple the Vicar. Right? <laughs> who's right? Who's wrong here? Listen. All of the people around us the vicar. All right. Just let me the All right. Just so I know if you were wondering, it's uh, just let me state for the record is uh, what the, they really sing. But for now, we are family. It's, it's changed forever. From now on, it's staple the vicar for you guys. It's, it's been ruined. I'm sure you've heard the famous one, uh, Jimi Hendrix, and uh, you know, excuse me while I kiss the sky. And every—I mean—I just can't sing it without. Excuse me, while I kiss this guy. No, 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 right? Oh no, right? Or uh, two tickets to paradise. Uh, Someone ruined that for me. uh, That's—I got two chickens to paralyze. Like I can't hear that song now without saying that. It's messed the whole thing up. Just can't go back to how it was before, you know. But it happens in in difficult things too. You ever been in a car wreck, and you know you just play it over and over and over again, you know, until, until you like get physically sick about it, and just wishing you could go back to what it was like before that moment, or when you got in a fight or a conflict. You know, you keep playing it over. It's like, oh, if I could just go back. And we're in a world right now where there's just some things, I mean, I, I'm, I'm excited about what's coming and what God is doing right now, but there's some things I wish I could just go back to it. Anybody else here old enough to remember when you would go to an airport and you could actually go all the way to the gate you know, and see your loved ones coming off the plane there? Never gonna do that again, ever, right? We're just not gonna go back to that. Or like even now, like I'm, I, and all the time when my kids were little, I was concerned about what television shows they would watch, but now I'm like, I'm actually afraid of the commercials that they might see, right? It's like, wow, I wish I could go back when I, I at least I didn't worry about the commercials there. Or, or, and I don't care which side of the aisle you're on here, when I used to think that that news used to relay the facts and the events rather than pushing an agenda, it's like, wow, can we go back to those days instead of just being so agenda-driven? But I've got one moment, no matter what moment you wish could be undone, no matter where you wish you could go back, this is the moment for all of us. If this could be undone, this is the moment that took the innocence and the life from from all of us. And it's when Adam and Eve are in the garden, and God says, because he wants them to have freedom, because he wanted real love where they can choose if they're gonna walk with him or or they're not gonna walk with him, a real choice that leads to real love. And he said, you can do anything you want, but just don't do this one thing. Just don't take from the fruit. And we see here from this tree, Genesis 3, 6. And when the woman saw the fruit of the tree that was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And you know, the same thing happens to us when we take other fruit, that our eyes are opened but not in a good way. Our eyes are closed to our innocence and they're open to our brokenness and our cynicism. And they realized they were naked. So they did what we all do after we sin. We try to cover our own shame and they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. That's the moment. But here's the thing is every single one of us have our own take the fruit moment, don't we? where we like to hide and we like to cover in our eyes and open in a way that we wish we could just go back to how it was before that took place. I was talking to my brother-in-law a week ago, and uh, I don't know if it was when he was in seminary or when he talked to a, a different pastor, but the, his pastor said, you know, there's three major sins of life, of these different uh, phases of life. And he says the, the sin of youth is pride, and, and then the sin of middle age is cynicism, and then the sin of old age is self-pity. And I can tell you right now, I'm two for three as we go along here. And you walk through these things, and, and I, you know, I don't know how often I, I say it, but I, I keep, I'm frustrated with how often I hear myself say, no, I'm not surprised. There's a cynicism that comes with age, right? Cynicism that comes with experience. We like to say that it's wisdom, but it's not, it's cynicism. But then I could talk to, I was talking to my D group and you know, any time that I, that I look at how bad they are, yeah, I knew they were gonna do it. All I have to do is think about my own heart and think about how many times that I've taken the fruit. How many times that I knew what was right and I just blew right past it. Or I knew what was wrong and I just kind of shut my eye. I knew it was wrong and I did it anyway how many times that I've just kind of started that. And you know, each time you do that, each time you give yourself to sin, each time you take the fruit, you lose something. You lose innocence. You lose hope. There's a little bit of goodness that's just like gone in your life. And it's hard to get back. And you want to go back to the time before that time when you lost it. Genesis 3, we'll pick up where we left off in verse 8. It says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What a privilege to be able to walk with God. And what'd they do? They did what we do. In their shame, they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. And then, you know what God does? He does the same thing that he does now when you and I hide from him. And and the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The immediate result of the sin and this brokenness in our life is shame and hiding. And we make fig leaves and we try to cover ourselves, hide our shame, hide what we've done. But here's the good news. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus not only forgives your sins, not only makes you clean, but he restores the innocence. That God actually gives back what was taken from you. He actually gives back what you gave away or what you broke. And that God doesn't just want to forgive you, but he wants to repair you and he wants to make you whole. And he actually wants to bring you back to what he had for you in the very beginning. And the beautiful thing about it is if you'll take that mess and you'll bring it to him, not only will he forgive you, not only will he restore you, but you get to move forward in humility. You get to gain a little bit of gratitude in the midst of it because you see the goodness of God. Now there's amazing responses, but I just want to show you one response that, Jesus, that God has here in the midst of this. In verse 21. So they're hiding themselves with fig leaves and it says, and the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. That's huge. Because God doesn't want to expose you. He doesn't want to shame you. He doesn't want to magnify your brokenness. He wants to cover you. He wants to bring you in and clothe you. Make you whole again. See that you're protected. See you become whole again. And the things that you've done, he covers it doesn't magnify it even when you did it even when you caused it now I'm sorry to do this to you but I I think this is going to help I think this is going to actually turn out good but I'm going to ask you actually to think of one thing you're ashamed of just get in your mind right now one thing that you're ashamed of in your life now here's the question have you brought it to Christ Now, if you have, I want to tell you that thing that you're thinking about right now, his heart is to clothe you, to put his arms around you, to protect you, to make you whole again, to actually change you and transform you. It is not his heart to destroy you. It's not his heart to shame you. Now, does he want repentance? Absolutely. And does he want change? Yes. Why? For your healing and for your life and for your restoration. You know, one thing that we never find with Jesus is blame. Look at the Gospels. He doesn't ever blame anyone. You know, Peter comes, he's like, Jesus, we're out of money, we gotta pay taxes. And Jesus doesn't say, well, who spent all the money? What's Judas doing with that stuff anyway, right? Where did it go? Come on, guys, get it together. He says, well, now go fish, and you're gonna find a denarius in the mouth of the fish, and you'll pay the taxes, so just take care of it. Or, Or at the wedding in Canaan. You don't see Jesus say, when they ran out of wine, he doesn't say, who's drinking so much? My gosh, what kind of wedding is this? Or where's the wedding coordinator? Let me talk to her. She's, she needs a new job, right? He just says, okay, bring this water. It's not my time yet, mother, but here, let me help, right? Now, you and I, we love blame. I mean, this culture right now loves to blame. Who did that? And you believe what they did point the finger. find out who caused this thing why do we like that so much because if you can point the finger that way then you don't have to point the finger this way but here's the problem see Jesus he understands the reason he doesn't find who's blamed because he knows we are all guilty who's responsible for this mess in your home all of you who's responsible for this mess in your world you are Jesus already knows. Here we are trying to exonerate our, ourselves, and He already knows that we're guilty. And He doesn't want to deal with your guilt. He wants to come and bring freedom to you. He doesn't want—that's uh, I didn't say it right. He doesn't want to make—he doesn't want to blame you. He wants to bring freedom to you. We're so in, in, in focused on pointing to who it is, and He's so focused on dealing with us. I just want to come and touch you. I just want to bring healing. I'll take care of the taxes. I'll take care of the wine. I'll take care of your sin. So here's the question, back to your shame. Will you let him clothe you? Will you let him put his arms around you? Will you let him cover your shame? Will you let him restore your innocence? Well, it begins to agree with what he already says about you, and that is, I am forgiven. To agree that I belong to him. To believe that I'm whole. Some of you, you need to hear this. Stop making yourself pay for your sins. You know, Martin Luther, before he understood grace, he used to take a whip and he would just beat his back for his sins. And he would do it every day, all the time. And you know what? It never took care of it. It never alleviated the guilt. And he never was whole, no matter how much skin he would pull off of his back. And it wasn't until he understood the grace of Jesus Christ And some of you, emotionally, mentally, you are just whipping yourself, trying to make up for what you've done. And I want to tell you right now, stop trying to pay emotionally and mentally. We come before God and we ask for forgiveness. And yes, we repent, we turn the other way. And then what? We are forgiven. You need to agree with the truth of what God says about you. In fact, I want you to think about that thing that you're ashamed of again, okay? And have you repented? Have you brought it to God? Now just declare this. Say this right now about that thing. Say this out loud right now. Say, I am forgiven. Now say this, and I forgive myself. Forgive yourself. God forgave you, so what right do you have to hold it against yourself? Why do you get to hold that over your head when God doesn't do that anymore? Some amazing moments in the Bible where Jesus just comes and restores people. One of my favorites, it's in John 8. We've talked about it before, such a powerful passage. Verse 11, I wanna look at if you have your Bible here. And so this woman, she's caught in adultery and they bring her forward to Jesus and they're gonna stone her. The law says that we have to stone her, throw these stones till she dies. And, And Jesus says, okay, the first one without sin, you cast the first stone. And they all walk away one by one. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, where are they to be found? And she says, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Neither do I condemn you. No condemnation. There's no requirement for you to pay. You know, when other people mess up, don't you kind of like them to feel bad for a little bit? You know, if they hurt you especially, yeah, I'll I'll forgive them, but they just need to feel it for a little bit. Jesus doesn't want you to feel bad for a while. He just wants you to come and find the life and the truth. But at the same time, he says, change. Leave your life of sin. Go and sin no more. See, there's two things that are required for the restoration of your innocence. And the first is heartfelt, real repentance. Where you come to Jesus and you say, I did it. And I'm gonna stop it and I'm gonna go the other way. But then the second thing is to accept his release. To agree that I with him that I am forgiven and to stop paying for it, stop apologizing for it, stop just discounting your contribution. See, because what happens then is we say, Well, I can never be that, I can never do that because I did this. I was going that way, but you don't know what I did. But Jesus says, Come back in, I restore your innocence. I make you whole again. And then he restores the the innocence of our thoughts and our actions, because one thing, one problem with sin is it changes the way you think, doesn't it? It takes pure things and it makes them dirty. And it takes good things and it makes them bad. I mean, come on, this happens to all of us. These corrupted thoughts, I mean, it could be a worship song and I'm like, why am I thinking that in the middle of this worship song? And if you're like me, I mean, you, the, there's enough ground for the, enough material from your past for, this, for the enemy to bring it back, right? And it's so easy to return to those perversions and that brokenness. It's one of the reasons that Ephesians 5.4 tells us to be careful, if you bring that up for me, to be careful of coarse joking. There, nor, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. They're out of place, but rather there should be thanksgiving. So we don't want to feed that stuff. We don't want to feed that brokenness. And we certainly don't want to put that brokenness on someone else and warp their innocence. But Jesus wants to restore yours. And see, this coarse joking, these things that come out of our mouth, they keep our thoughts jaded, and they keep us cynical, and they keep us perverse. And you know, that's one of the problems with our culture right now, is culture assumes that everything is sexual, that every intent is evil. Right, that every motive is selfish. I mean, just we just are just so cruel towards one another right now. And it's part of the mess that we're in right now. But even when they do the worst, scripture, love says, believe the best. We're supposed to love our enemies. Love believes all things. So even those who are on the opposite side of you, can you believe the best? Can you hope in them? I think that's one of the things that we need to do is to call out the good. You know, if you have a kid and and you believe the worst in them, what are you going to get? The worst out of them. And I know there's a risk. There's a risk to believe the best because you might get fooled. You might get duped. But I think it's worth the risk to call good out of one another, to call nobility to actually believe again and hope again and to say, well, maybe, maybe they have good intent. That's what love does. I think it's worth the risk. You need to take back your innocence through your thinking, the way that you look at the rest of this world. And I know, I know those broken thoughts come and when they come, listen, don't freak out. Don't beat yourself up mentally. Oh, I'm so dirty. I'm so broken. I'm so twisted. Listen, the thoughts are gonna come. I just wanna encourage you, just don't agree with them. Just don't partner with them. And sometimes we passively partner. Just kind of let that bounce around in our heads. But what scripture tells us to do is cast it down. Yeah, that thought came, but it's not me. Oh, That's twisted, but that's not who I am. I reject that in Jesus' name. I'm not going to play around with that. I'm going to be regenerated in him. It's not how I think anymore. And I'm not worried about the thoughts that might come in your head. I'm worried about if you're gonna partner with them and agree with them or not, because if you do, then they will come out in your life. And I think about that woman caught in adultery, and I have to think that one of the difficulties after that beautiful moment in John 8:11, where Jesus says, neither do I condemn you, I have to think that one of the big struggles for, for much of her life, at least for a little while after that, was for her to stop thinking like an adulteress. To change her mindset. To stop agreeing with the things in her heart that said, I'm a homewrecker. I'm uncared for. I'm rejected by everyone. Look at how they look at me. I think one of her struggles had to be, I have to see myself like Christ sees me. And the woman at the well you know, you've had five married, five husbands, and the guy you're with there's not even your husband anymore. And God restores her. And I have to think that the big battle was for her to stop thinking like a rejected woman who goes from man to man and man. And as she would stop that thinking, then she would change her living. Because corrupted thoughts lead to corrupted actions. And Jesus helped her see what I want you to understand is that she is so valuable. I just want you to understand you are so precious. You are so important to him. Even at that moment that you're ashamed of, it's like, oh, that's my child. This is my son. This is my daughter. See, some of us right now, you're identifying with your past, you're identifying with your sin, and you're identifying with your shame. And I just want to ask you right now, what sin do you need to stop agreeing with? What identity, what lie do you need to stop partnering with in your life right now? I'm going to ask God to show you, Holy Spirit, if there's any sin, if there's any identity, if there's any lie, God, that we're partnering with, would you just reveal it to us right now? It's not you. Yeah, and maybe you did it, but it's not who you are. And it's time now to cast that down. It's time to stop agreeing with what was and start agreeing with who you are and what will be. And the hardest part, I think, of living an innocent life is to stop thinking like a sinner, to adjust our thoughts and the truth of who we are. Listen to me, stop agreeing with your sin and start agreeing with your Savior. Change the way that you think. Philippians 4.8 tells us the things to think about. Whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. But I want you to know that this goes for you as well. The way that you think about yourself. And God is not pleased and he's not impressed when you go around and say, oh, I'm so, oh, such a worm. Oh, I'm so twisted. Ugh. That doesn't make God happy. He wants you to see yourself as he sees you. So I want to talk about another amazing restoration in the Bible, and so it's with Peter. Now we, most of us know that the, Peter denies Jesus three times. Three times he says, I never knew the man. And then we see this amazing moment in John 21 where Jesus has been crucified, he's risen from the dead, and this is the next time that he talks to Peter. Peter. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You know, Peter had this amazing call that was given by Jesus. He says, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. But then Peter denies Jesus three times, and what does he do? He says, call's not for me anymore. I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I know. I was hoping maybe that I could be that one day, but the truth is, this is really who I am right now. And here's the amazing thing, is that God restores, Jesus restores the innocence of your identity and your purpose. And he brings them back three times. You see, Peter says, I never knew him. Jesus says, do you love me? I never knew him. Do you love me? I never knew the man. Peter, do you love me? Three times he brings him back to his call and his purpose. Feed my sheep, Peter. You're still the rock. Feed my sheep. You're still called. Feed my sheep. My purpose and my plan prevails. Actually accounted for the failures that you would have. You have to know that God accounted for your failures. Some of us are sitting there in the corner hiding with our fig leaves, afraid of God. And he's like, Come on out. Come be who you're called to be. Take the place in the wall that I want you to stand in. And Jesus restores him. And Jesus gives it all back to Peter. Everything that he was called to be, everything that he was meant to do. And Jesus doesn't blame. But you know, he doesn't also say, he never says, Well, it's okay. He doesn't say hey Peter don't worry about it Adam and Eve no big deal sin's a big deal and it has to be dealt with and that's why Jesus came and died for our sins but isn't it amazing that the moment right after Adam and Eve sin that Jesus already has the plan it's called the proto it's the first gospel and Jesus says that the enemy Satan is going to strike his heel crucify Jesus And Jesus is going to crush his head. He tells them right that at the very beginning, right after they sinned, he's already got a way for them. Same way for you. Whatever it was, he already had a way for you to go forward. Peter, do you love me? I still got a plan for you. No, remember, remember when you used to look forward to the future? When you get, get my age, you start saying things like, I'm afraid of the future right? Listen, there's a hope for you. Innocent children do not say, I'm afraid of the future. Jaded people do. And I, you know what? Because we know that there's difficulty ahead, right? I've heard people say that, well, uh, either you're uh, in a crisis, coming out of crisis, or headed into a crisis, right? But you know what? You're either in the goodness of God or you're headed into the goodness of God. I mean, hasn't he come through for you in the past? Hasn't he been good for you before? So don't you think he's going to be good for you in the future? And I would guess, just knowing some of your history, I would guess that there was more good back then than bad. So why would you not think that there's more good for you than bad ahead? And yeah, there's difficulty. That's part of this life. But oh, there's such goodness. There's such grace. There's such life. Don't forget all the good he has for you. We need to restore our innocence to think like children again. And yeah, we need to be honest. Like, listen, that thing that we did, we did it. You know why? Because it was in us. I hate to say it, but at some level, I mean, I don't like it, but, but at some level that was in me. But here's the beautiful thing, that if you bring it to Jesus, he doesn't just cover it, he doesn't just forgive it, but he actually will remove it from your heart. He'll actually make you new again. That is restoring your innocence. So that thing that you were ashamed of, you know, the bad news is it was in you. The bad news is I did it and something in me wanted it. And I'm responsible for what came from it. But here's the good news. It's not in me anymore. It's not who you are anymore. That you must change, and the beautiful thing is that by Jesus, through His blood, you can change, that you're a new creation, that that doesn't identify you or define you anymore. but instead you're a child and you're pure. And here's the thing: you're innocent. Do you see yourself that way? God does. You should start agreeing with God more, especially about yourself. I want to show you this uh, wonderful passage in Hosea. So the Israelites have been blowing it and just going their own way. We've got this uh, prophetic thing coming from the prophet, and he says, Come, verse 1, let us return to the Lord. See, he turned us over to our sins. He let us go our own way, and he has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. And after two days, he will revive us. And I don't think it's any coincidence that it says, and on the third day, he will restore us. And I love this. Why? That we may live in his presence. Isn't that beautiful? That that's where he wants you to be. Not, not just feel his presence. Oh, look, I experienced his presence of worship. Now, I want that for you. But, but this is what he wants for you, that we may live in his presence. Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the garden. And the Lord wants you to walk in the cool of the San Juans with him right now. Hand in hand, to be with him all the time. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on and acknowledge him. And just as sure as the sun is gonna come up tomorrow, he will appear for you. He will come to you like the winter rain, like the spring rains that water the earth innocence to be restored, connection to be built again, that we are whole and that we are holy in him. And he's here to restore your thinking, to restore your living, to give you childlike hope and an innocent identity. He's here to take the brokenness and to make you new, to change the way that you look at others, to change the way that you look at yourself an amazing God we serve who wants to take all that we have done and actually use it and make something beautiful out of it again. It is the same God that we serve right now who restored Israel. The same God who restores Peter. The same God who restores you and me and calls you his child. So we're gonna sing this uh, song and we're gonna praise him for who he is. But as we do, I just wanna encourage anyone right now, anyone who just, you feel like you have shame or you need to be restored or you feel like your innocence is lost. Listen, God wants to just come and give it back to you. He wants you to to proclaim and claim your identity and walk in that again. So we're gonna have some people here who are just ready to pray for you and care for you. And God's gonna meet you. So Lord God, I just thank you For who you declare us to be and what you've done in us, Lord. Lord, I I just ask for forgiveness for agreeing with my sin. And Lord, I just thank you that uh, I'm innocent. (laughs) Not because I didn't do it, but because Jesus paid for it. I'm innocent, Lord. Not because I'm good, but because you are. I'm innocent, God that's what you've declared me to be and you are the judge. So Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to walk in that innocence, the beautiful innocence that you've given us. To think in it, to live in it, to be in it, God. Come and restore us now and just breathe that life and breathe that truth on us as we praise your name in Jesus' name, Amen.